Welcome to Short Stories from a Whitewater Guide. I'm your host, Max, and today's episode is part seven of my Grand Canyon adventure. The boat felt more comfortable, and I began to learn her habits. With each wave and cross current, she spoke of her nature, and I opened myself to listening with every sense to what she was saying. I was learning the boat. It is a concept that I talk about when teaching others to paddle. It is important to understand how a boat responds, reacts in situations. Ultimately, by learning the boat's tendencies, it creates the opportunity to fine-tune and be ready for countering or capitalizing on a tendency in any given situation. For example, I learned very quickly that it was almost impossible for me to skirt the edges of the waves due to the sharp V-hole of the bow. The V dug into the slower current of the water on the outside of the waves, while the deep V of the stern dug into the center of the wave current and made the boat want to spin sideways, making it extremely unstable. To correct this tendency, it meant that I was going to have to take the full force of whatever lie ahead. I had to basically follow the meat of the current and smash through whatever water features presented themselves. The deck of the kayak, or the top of the boat, is different from whitewater to sea kayak. Sea kayaks have bungees to strap items on top of the boat. Mainly, these items are low profile so that they do not interfere with rolling the boat. I had taken my poop tube out of the cockpit from the day before and slipped it under the bungee behind my cockpit perpendicular to the length of the boat. My tube was roughly two and a half foot long. There is an actual formula for how much cubic solid waste space a paddler's watertight waste container has to be when paddling down the Grand Canyon. These requirements must be met or a group could face possible denial of a scheduled river launch. Pack it in and pack it out. The leave no trace principles are at play. It is a dry place and a lot of people use the land. Waste items tend to hang around for long periods of time in the dry climate. And it's gross to find human waste at a campsite. I had begun the morning with my mindset that I was going to be exiting the river as soon as possible, which according to our leader was going to be the following day in the afternoon. I had had a meltdown the night before and was doing my best to regain my confidence. A big part of that confidence was trusting I could handle the sea kayak, which was not designed to take on whitewater. I rolled the boat a few times that morning of the second day to see how everything felt. I was able to roll the boat. However, she was slow to flip all the way under. Having moved the poop tube from inside the cockpit to behind my cockpit disrupted the way the boat rolled over. On both attempts at the roll, I had to assist with flipping the boat all the way over so I could set up properly. In other words... As I started to roll, the boat wanted to pause halfway under, and so I was having to hip-snap the boat down in order to get myself into a position where I could sweep the paddle out and do the motions needed in order to roll the boat. 
It was one more piece of knowledge that filled my brain and bounced around each time I ran a rapid. However, with each passing mile, I became more and more comfortable with my boat. Big Yellow was 15 feet 9 inches, and I used a 240 centimeter paddle. In contrast, the doctor used a 193 centimeter paddle. My blade was made for sea kayaking, and it was a fine blade to have for this trip, and in particular to use with that boat. It was a little longer than I had initially wanted until that moment. That moment came at the bottom of a rapid. I do not remember the name. The rapid itself was nondescript. It was the swirly waters at the end that proved most dangerous. At the end of what seemed like every rapid on the river were the dreaded swirls. In essence, many whirlpools that sucked, twisted, and pulled at the boats. It was almost more challenging navigating the explosive cross-currents of the rapid exit as it was the rapids themselves. My moment with the swirls came mid-morning on the second water day. The rapid was a series of waves and a curve to the left. I can see the water, gray and white, frothing from all the air being mixed into the exploding cross-currents and the series of diagonal waves smashing into each other. The water and foam lifted upward as there was no place else for it to go. The whirlpools were large enough to catch boats and spin them wildly. I found myself caught in one such whirlpool. I saw it emerge in front of me, as they often would. Some would boil up and then lose their energy and dissipate, while others seemed to rise to full spin right as the boat came in contact. I eventually learned to use these vortexes to shoot me forward. My bow plunged into the far side of the swirling water and immediately lurched to one side. The stern was being taken under by the center of the vortex. I was laid out on a brace of the right side of the kayak and using every bit of the 240 centimeters of paddle. I made eye contact with titanium and she had that oh shit look going. I continued to spin back upstream as my stern went lower, the bow went higher. In playboat terms, my boat was doing a stern squirt, except I wasn't playing. The boat lifted to about 60 degrees while sideways with me laying on a brace. I somehow managed to keep the boat upright and pull out of the spin, only to get stuck in chaotic eddy water near the shore. It took a lot of energy to get out of the current and back into the downstream flow. My heart was pounding, my muscles burned, and my lungs ached. I was paddling downstream, and I was very happy to have been paddling with that extra length. Though a minor incident, it gave me confidence that I could learn the boat, and maybe I had a chance to make it. At lunch, I felt good, and I felt much more confident. I expressed to the group that I felt much stronger and that I was creating opportunities for growth. I let them know that I felt a hundred times better in the boat than the day before, and with each stroke I was getting better. Our leader smiled and said, well, I didn't want to tell you this morning, but most of the rapids are before Phantom, so you're going to have to paddle them regardless. I had to laugh out loud at the news. It seemed appropriate. I was nervous, 
and I also knew that this is what I had trained my whole life to do. Throughout the rest of the day, our leader checked in on me to see how I felt, and mile by mile I got more and more comfortable with where I was and the goal at hand. I had made a shift somewhere along the way that second day. I had given myself permission to hike out at Phantom, and yet I knew that was not going to happen. I felt my confidence coming back, and that second night, under the stars, warmed by fire, and a lukewarm PBR beer, and a full belly, I could just barely hear the roar of the longest, and as our leader put it, most challenging rapid on the river. Hans is what I called the rapid. Because of my stubbornness to learn about the river beforehand, in other words, I didn't want to know anything other than what I already knew, so I didn't do any research. I wanted it to be as virgin an experience as possible. I only knew of a few rapids by name, Lava and Crystal being the most talked about over the years. 25 years of paddling and listening to other stories of the Grand had painted a twisted picture. I find it interesting that we hear and process information in such selective ways. I believe that the Grand Canyon was a float trip with a sprinkling of rapids. Because of the perception of the river that I had created in my mind, my experience became uniquely mine. Now that I have seen and felt the river, I am pleased that the river greatly overshadowed my expectations. I still recall the vivid contrast of the midnight, starlit sky, blue above the black towers of the rock canyon so tall, sheer cliffs reaching beyond. They looked as though they would simply slide together. They were so close, and it seemed that in, in a moment of chaotic effortless, they would clap together like giant hands embracing the world. And we, the traveling adventurers, lay below those giant hands and beside the river in between the cliffs of shadows, watching breathlessly the narrow band of stars that float by. The Ledges Campground, Night 4 Hans Rapid, according to some, is the longest and most dangerous rapid on the Grand Canyon stretch. Now, Gore Canyon in Colorado which is part of the Colorado River system, is where the most difficult rapids actually live. Now, directly above Hans is Neville Rapid, and I remember this because my 7th grade math teacher, Mr. Neville, gave me an F. On the morning of the third day, I awoke to a rumble in my belly and an urge to get moving quick. On multi-day trips, and especially adventure trips, my daily habits get disrupted and, well, for lack of better terminology, my pipes freeze. Now, anyone who has ever slept down in a tent and in a sleeping bag knows that one of the most difficult actions to create is the energy to get out of the warm, safe sleeping bag and embrace the bone-chilling morning air. Well, on that morning, I came alive and got to moving so fast that cold was not even an issue. I slept in my union suit, so getting geared up was easier and faster. I had set my tent up on the only stretch of level ground I could find at our night two campsite. It was quite a way from my boat and my poop tube. To say it was a pressing moment is an understatement. 
I made my way as quickly and safely as I could to get my supplies. Now, the poop tube is made from a PVC pipe with a sealed fixed end and a removable cap. As I've mentioned before, it's for solid waste only. Liquid waste is deposited into the river by the owner of the body, i.e. piss in the river people. No solid waste in the river. No solid waste buried in the ground. You pack it in, you pack it out. Granted, that in northern Alabama, I'm sure I have paddled in some poopy pasture water. Yikes. It is very difficult for me to squat these days. One of my hips has limited range of motion and makes squatting a challenge. I did my best, cussing under my breath at how uncomfortable it all was. I dug a hole, placed my doggy bag in as a liner, and straddled, hoping my aim was spot on. The stars were still out that morning as I did my business. I could not help but think of my friend and mentor the man who had helped inspire this trip. Mark had had one of his hips destroyed by radiation treatments that were carelessly handled. The man was a beast. Had he not told me about his hip, I would have not guessed that he had had such a surgery. The doctors tell me I need a new hip. It is a very emotional thing for me to accept. I have had procedures in the past, like Mark, that have been botched. I am gun-shy, to say the least. I have serious trust issues. My father, ex-wife, and a trusted doctor have all misled me and tossed me into the briar patch, if you will. Mark was compared to Tarzan by his wife. She is correct that Mark was the closest living version of Tarzan that I have ever known. The man lived in a palm-thatched hut open to the world. He breathed the freshest air possible every night and he and his wife lay among the flora and fauna of the Florida Everglades. They welcomed a life most of us only know through fantasy. For the two of them, it was a lifestyle, and even in Mark's darkest hours, he lay with her amongst the colors of a full life. As I struggled to balance and ignore the pain of my hip joint, straddling my doggy poop bag, I remembered watching Mark struggle to get up from the ground. He reached out for me to help him, which I did. He made a few grunts, and that was about it. He handled his pain. He did not put it onto others. I felt the anger in my chest, the anger of being in pain, disfigured, broken. I felt the frustration of my body failing, and yet my mind was still sharp. Mark told me when I first arrived in Miami that his mind was clear and that he was ready to go. His body, however, was not. I think now that while Mark dealt with the unmanageable, he still smiled and cracked jokes. He embraced what life and joy he could. I understood in that moment there on the shore of the river, in the early morning starlight, how to be more of a man, how to be a better man. I thank my body for being awesome, I thanked my body for carrying me all these years. I thanked it for allowing to be here in this moment, giving thanks for the opportunity to be experiencing something so amazing. I thanked my body for learning and for being capable of adapting. I watched as the stars faded in the morning light, and I quietly gave thanks. I knew paddling that third day was going to be huge. I knew it was going to be my test. 
I had managed to let go of my fear and doubt and embrace my situation. I had begun to trust Big Yellow and rely on her predictability. I trusted myself and continued to remind myself that I had trained my whole life for this moment. I was in good spirits as we packed our gear and suited up. It was a gorgeous morning. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to check out Past Adventures. I will be planning on releasing new content in the next coming weeks. And if you know someone who might enjoy this type of story or content, please share. Also, if you haven't already, please like and subscribe. I hope that you are staying safe in these strange times. Thanks again for listening to short stories from a whitewater guide.